0: Hello and welcome to the King's Fund podcast where we explore the big issues and ideas in health and care. Today we're going to be exploring the role community groups play in helping black mothers have a better experience of the health and care system. Now I've only experienced it from a distance, but becoming a mother can be a fulfilling journey, an isolating struggle, and more often than not a combination of both of those things. And NHS maternity services can play a huge part in this. And unfortunately, there have been well-documented care failings before, during, and after birth for too many mothers. And although these issues can affect mothers from all backgrounds, there are clear racial disparities in how maternity services are being experienced in this country. I'm Sivrin Andesiva, and I'm delighted to be joined by three guests who explore this issue. Amanda Smith, the founder and chief executive of Maternity Engagement Action. Binesh Nazmin, assistant professor of midwifery and co-founder and co-director of the Association of South Asian Midwives and Chrissy Brown, the founder and chief executive of the Motivational Mums Club. Amanda, Veenish and Chrissy, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me.
1: Hi, thank you.
2: Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you, hello.
0: I wanted to start by learning a little bit more about you and the work you do. So could you tell me about yourselves and the organisations? you're working in. Amanda, why don't we start with you?
1: I am the uh, founder and CEO of Maternity Engagement Action. So we're an organization, we're based in Birmingham, supporting women in the West Midlands. And we support black perinatal women from conception up until their babies are two years old. So it's in the postnatal space as well. What we try to do in the work that we're doing is engage with black maternal and perinatal women in the community connect them to each other because isolation is a big a big issue in in our area. But also we try to connect their experiences and their stories to the system so that they can hear firsthand what is happening to women in the community. We also provide some leadership activities with um, a project that we do called Maternity Ambassadors for Change, where we're encouraging women, black perinatal women, to know that we are leaders of our own well-being, we are leaders in our communities. Beanish, could
0: we hear a little bit about your story?
2: I am a healthcare professional by background. I'm a midwife. I trained as a midwife. I'm now an educator. And I suppose in my role as in education, I'm conscious of the fact that we have a Eurocentric curriculum. We have a Eurocentric lens when we're having taught content. So ensuring that we have removed that lens and we look at the global lens, we understand actually the fact that something as simple as skin colour can impact outcomes. I sit on the Embrace Perinatal Mortality Review Board, and most recently in December, the report came out looking at neonatal deaths and stillbirths for babies, specifically looking at outcomes for Asian communities in comparison to their white counterparts, black communities in comparison to their white counterparts, and what are, were the differences that were being recognised within documentation? And um, I sit on the stakeholder group for the Race and Health Observatory. And finally, as Association South Asian Midwives, we're a group of marginalised midwives who are representative of the communities that we're talking about right now. Thanks, Banish.
0: And Chrissy, could you tell us about you and your organisation as well, please?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I come from a slight different angle with the Motivational Moms Club. When I created the Motivational Moms Club, it wasn't initially to start off with, I'm going to raise awareness on perinatal and maternal mental health. It didn't start off like that. It started off with me coming from a lived experience perspective. I created the Motivational Moms Club as initially a networking group. I didn't even have it registered at all. I literally just got a group of mums together after the birth of my firstborn, which was amazing, um, hosted our first event, had so many mums from all different walks of life come and talk about their journeys into motherhood. And little did I know, that's where my lived experience began because I was pregnant with my secondborn, and my firstborn was only six months old. So... That transition from being a mum of one to two under two was so overwhelming that it did have a massive toll on my mental health. And that's where the Motivational Mums Club was reborn. That is where I took on my own initiative about my lived experience and my transition to being the lioness I am today. Black mothers and birthing people do not access any help when it comes to their mental health. Why is that? This is why the community leaders are there to ask the why's.
0: Thank you, Chrissy. And thank you all. What comes through really, really powerfully is a sense of we're going to change things. We're going to improve things. We don't just want to diagnose the problem. That's what I wanted to talk about a little bit more. Amanda, I wonder if I could ask you, how do you reach the people who need to be reached?
1: We do what we say we do and what's on the tin, community engagement. So I'd spent many years as a community engagement involvement, all the different kinds of things you can be when it comes to community development in the health sector and local authority. I spent many years doing that and always thought, you know, we, we're just scratching the surface. You know, we're not really engaging. We're just ticking boxes and making the system look like they're talking to people or engaging with them and we're actually not. So community engagement is how we started and um, we started in 2018 um, and we saw that we were looking at the, what we used to call the BAME community, it's a terrible word now, you know, it should be just crossed out of everybody's vocabulary and then we had COVID and I realised, I looked around and I was like, there's nothing for Black women. No one's speaking to Black women. No one's engaging with Black women. And just before COVID, we'd had the Embrace report as well that was talking about Black women being five times more likely to die. And I said, you know, I need to target Black women in our communities. So it's all about trust. It's all about trust, how we're making sure that the women trust us just because I'm a black woman in the community doesn't mean I have the right to just approach another black woman and start asking her questions. It is about how I build trust and how I am myself a safe space as well. How am I a maternal or a perinatal safe space as well as the physical spaces that we're thinking about where women come together? How am I showing up? How am I speaking to women? How am I engaging with women in the community? So it was really about drawing on the fact that I am a Black woman in a community that has many Black women who have shared experiences about not really feeling safe in their birth spaces, not being listened to when they're talking about their experiences or their pain or what's going on, and really just not being taken seriously. We were also thinking about, you know, what. Other community assets? What can we do in the community that supports Black women when they have to go into these spaces? The NHS is a very important space for women to go, have their babies, receive their care. But, you know, it's a little bit of a, even though it's not, it is perceived as a bit of a nine to five space. So outside of that nine to five space, what is there for women? How are we engaging women in the community? How are we supporting them to not just support themselves, but to support each other?
0: Was there anything else you know, I'm it's COVID, you're sat sat there and you recognize this massive gap and people who are just gonna slip through that gap unless it's filled. What was you know, where did you start?
1: Well, first of all, there was a, a level of frustration because when I was speaking to the system about the lack of engagement with Black moms and the things that we were hearing, especially during COVID, about nobody being able to come in, nobody being able to support women. But knowing that just prior to that, we'd heard about five times more and it was all in the news. So women are going into this space going, am I going to be one of those five times more moms?" Do you know? So I just said, right, you know what? You just need to do something and start. We started off having conversations with women online and that's where we found, because we were going into COVID, a lot of people were having these conversations. So we started to do activities. We did a couple of perinatal mental health activities. We did some birth stories online as well. But we always made sure that we had a facilitator that supported this storytelling process because we did not want women to tell a story that took them back and kind of re-traumatized them or overstimulated them. So we always wanted to make sure that whatever we were doing, we had the right facilitators that came in and supported women. But really online is where um, we started to find most of the women.
0: Great. Thank you. Chrissy, could you could you say a little bit more about, like Amanda, how did you find the people who needed help and how did that change? How did that grow?
3: as i explained my story started off very different it started off with, on a very positive note so i found myself i've got a very close unit of friends and i was literally the last one to give birth so everyone everyone was back at work and i just found myself at home with my newborn there was support around but i really wanted to branch out so what i did was created a page and I became that online stalker with mums, you know, literally in their DMs, in their inbox, following them, letting them know about this new group that I've created and I'm going to be hosting an event. I hosted my first event and I had 40 odd mums show up. I didn't know anyone apart from probably four mothers. So for me, I felt like, wow, there's an impact here. I'm going to continue. I love the buzz. And so for me, I've always been ambitious and always been an overachiever. So for me, I wanted to keep carrying this on after my you know, maternity leave. And all of a sudden, I just started getting all these engagement and followers leading into the birth of my daughter. And that wasn't, as I explained, wasn't great. And I started sharing that. That was my healing in a space where women were able to give me support on my mental health because when I did talk about it in my family I was told to pray about it I should be grateful to have children some people can't and I turned to my online platform and when I did turn to my online platform it start I started noticing there was a theme here especially within the African culture so to talk about mental health they translate it as are you saying you're going mad? That's where my um, trust with the mothers in the community grew, as I explained, organically, sharing my experiences and wanting to change that. And as I dug deeper, I started literally sharing stats that one in five women are most likely to, you know, um, be diagnosed with, with a mental health problem. And it can lead to one of the leading causes of death, which is suicide. And I just wanted to know why, why, why am I finding this out when I'm literally online and I'm seeking help? Why is this not mainstreamed? Why are we not normalising these conversations, especially within the, you know, black community? Why? That's where I started noticing that it is a cultural It's a cultural issue and that's what's stopping us. And this is where I came in. I really wanted to educate healthcare professionals because when I look back and it's crazy with this out-of-body experience that you do have when you're actually going back to your lived experience, if a healthcare professional had asked me the right questions in a very short period of time that they had with me, a barrier could have been chipped away. Not to say it would have been completely broken down. It would have been chipped away for me to actually see some sort of light peeking through. But the right questions weren't asked. When I had my firstborn and my mental health was absolutely fine, I was engaging. I was overly talking. Compared to my secondborn, I just I was very quick to the point, shut down, no eye contact. Nothing was left for me in regards to can I refer back to any communities nothing was left. So it's all these little things that where I come in and I provide that cultural intelligence and also training on how to actually make sure you're picking up on key signs, but then also working with the community of mothers on the underground to break those barriers and create a safe space to know it's not just them. There is somewhere where you can actually come and actually seek help. And it's not just you, but then at the same time, being that essential bridge for these mothers and birthing people to create a relationship with a healthcare sector that we unfortunately never had
0: I'm really I'm really latching on to some of the imagery you're using Chrissy about being a bridge between communities and services I just wanted to ask one final quick question to Amanda and Chrissy on connecting people because it feels like if we were doing this 25 years ago we'd be talking about town halls and community spaces and you both mentioned the importance of online connection, and what your thoughts were on, on, on that and how you're approaching it. Amanda, could I start with you?
1: In Birmingham here, I found it very difficult to find black women, and I think the system in terms of the local healthcare system in Birmingham, we're like, well, you know, just go out and find black women and do this work in these spaces. And it's not the same as, for example, the Asian community where there's a lot, there's the culture's different. We, as the Caribbean community and the African and Caribbean community, English is our first language and probably church isn't the place we go to like we used to. So it was really difficult to just go out and find women in the community. So online was the space that I found them. And it was great, it's great you know gathering and finding out and sharing and having these conversations but you know post-covid now it's still a space that women do use but now it's almost like actually that digital life that we were in we, we need to get out and see each other and be in community with each other because that's where we grow and learn and support peer support and I find that Part of the online engagement in this particular work can lead to a lot of isolation because the person that you meet, sometimes you see them online, they're very gregarious, they're out there, they look gorgeous, they're amazing. But when you meet them in person, it's a completely different person. So I think that it's okay to engage, to start an engagement online and start having conversations and share information. But events need to happen, safe spaces need to happen. So as we're growing and developing, we try to have more communal spaces. But it's not easy, Siva. It's not easy getting people. It's it's a, you know I've been doing community engagement for 20 odd years. And trust me, it's not easy. There's a lot of, you know, you have to hit the ground a lot. You have to do walking. You have to wear out a lot of pairs of shoes to engage with the community <laughs> and get them involved in what you want to do. But, you know, sometimes it feels like we don't have a choice because if we don't do it, who will?
0: And Chrissy, this sounds like a bit of a stupid question actually, but who are the people you're worried about that you're not reaching? Or maybe in a more positive sense, who are the people you found where you thought, gosh, I hadn't even thought about your needs until we found each other? And how's that changed your approach?
3: I do worry, but if we want to make sure we are making real impactful change, what group needs to help the most at the moment with their highest rates of dying during childbirth, accessing mental health. Unfortunately, it is the Black community, we're the highest, followed by the Asian community. So how can we make sure we are making real impactful change for them whilst also considering everyone else. And that's the bit that I worry about. And it's important that we all make sure we are connected together so we can signpost and no one isn't getting forgotten about because we do run at 100 miles per hour. And then we do forget about the other community leaders that are doing the same thing for others. So for me... That's where the priority is. But then at the same time, it's also being proactive about what's around you. So you, we can make sure we are all connected. Because Amanda, again, you said it so nicely that, you know, it's not just all three of us that are sitting here doing this. There is a whole lot more women, community leaders, males, family members that are actually doing this. And how do we make sure we're tapping into that? Because a lot of the time we don't talk, unfortunately.
0: Being a... One of the things I really wanted to ask you about was cultural competency in maternal healthcare services, your experience of it, how important it is, the work you've been doing on this issue.
2: If we have a culturally safe environment, we remove power imbalance in care and we have approachable two-way conversation. We talk about bias and the science of bias and, and what where bias is embedded. And it's embedded across all the systems. Who has been doing research and who have been past participants of research? Well, it's quite commonly known that historically we've mostly done research on white males. So researchers need to look at themselves and look at how they work and what voices are at the table. The fact is that people that look like me, there's very few of us in research. And the higher up you go, there's less of us. And the more our voices are not considered gold standard or the more we are talking about our community specifically, the less we are present. And the biggest bias, the hard to reach. No, these are not hard to reach communities in research. Work with your communities. We are here. We exist. And we want to be involved. So why? Why are we not? looking at some of the conversations that Chrissy's mentioned, and I just really wanted to come back to that regarding mental health. I once done a session as part of ASAM where we went to a community group and we were doing education around mental health and what mental health post-pregnancy, in-pregnancy, what are the different conditions, how they might present, what are the signs, what are the symptoms. This one woman at the end raised her hand and she said, I had my first child 27 years ago. I've had four children since then. And I now realize I had postnatal depression and I still do have it now, 27 years later. And only from someone going and speaking around mental health to this community, to our communities, did it resonate and she realized that there was support needed there. And where does this come from? Well, this is a lack of education and understanding around our communities. It's a Eurocentric lens on mental health that we're being taught, which means that as healthcare professionals, we're not recognising and referring to the perinatal mental health services that do exist. We're not having our service users representative in all the specialist clinics that exist because we are not recognising it. If you're not sure what's going on in a community and you don't know, Then there's three things you can do. If you know there's injustice and you don't know what's going on, then there's personal transformation. You can go and learn about this community. You can listen to authors, um, join community engagement events, ask the third sector that's currently doing all this work. But if you're only intaking from the echo chamber that is representing you, then you're not hearing the other voices. And if you know and you've done the personal transformation bit, you can educate other people we don't always have the energy to do the education so we need people to educate other people too and correct and don't be a bystander if there's an issue address it the second thing is alternative spaces and Amanda and Chrissy have demonstrated beautifully the alternative spaces they've made which is having spaces safe spaces for communities who are marginalised and who have lack of access to services and in healthcare that can be actually antenatal education specifically for certain community members, possibly by representative members of staff, but it's aimed at them, it's co-designed with them, it answers the questions they have, it's culturally safe. 15-minute antenatal appointments for every person is not enough. If you think about someone who's got learning needs, is neurodivergent, They need longer than 15 minutes just to understand the information that's coming to them, never mind asking questions back. If there's a language barrier and you need an interpreter, you cut that appointment in half to 7.5 minutes because you're talking to someone, they're talking to someone else, and then they're coming back to you. I can talk about the weather for seven and a half minutes.
3: And could I just say something there that you just mentioned, Binash was, you know, this term that's always been thrown around, which I, co- I can't stand, which is hard to reach. It should be something that shouldn't even be in our vocabulary when we are talking about such a sensitive topic. I find a lot of the time when there is some sort of project going on, co-production to produce something, Community leaders tend to get approached halfway through this project. Why aren't we not being included from the beginning to get it right? And then this is where this r- crazy terminology comes in that, you know, we are the hard to reach. It's because you are actually getting it wrong from the start and we are not hard to reach. Hard to reach? No.
2: Underrepresented? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Underserved? Absolutely. Yes. yes. Let's look at how we think about our communities.
0: And Chris, you were talking about moments where someone had been able to ask the right questions in the right way at the right time, what difference it can make to people's lives. Have you seen changes? Have you seen improvements in how services are delivered in all the time you've been advising and supporting
1: them? Isn't that really funny that you've asked that question, Siva, and we're all kind of going, hmm, personally here in the West Midlands, there's been more conversations and there's been more opening up of people wanting to have conversations about the community that we work with and how you know they can work with us to better engage with the community but i would also say that there is something about letting go of ego and letting go of being in the right And opening up minds and hearts and thoughts about actually there's something else that's going on that's not in the system that is really working out there how can we engage with that because a lot of the time I think that the system looks at us like oh they're okay but really are they doing the work that needs to be done you know the work that we're doing here in the clinical way or the clinical setting is really really important and But there is a way that you can marry that and it can come together. And when I look at some of the work in London and I see that some of my colleagues are really embedded in changing things or improving things or getting involved in in um the system in sort of, you know, different settings, I'm like, actually, you know, it can work. It's just that maybe in the Midlands we've taken a bit longer to get there, maybe, not sure. But yeah. So there's conversations that are happening and things are opening up, but I don't know about improvements i'd have to go and ask those mums again in the community are you seeing changes in the system in terms of your perinatal journey
0: well i trust i trust your sense amanda i trust your sense of what's going on chrissy
3: in regards to improvements there is a good shift in regards to including community leaders in um, co-production um, significant research and you know projects from that high level, yes, we are being included. It is taking a bit... In regard, we can talk about the process, but we'll, that, I think that's for another podcast. But in regard to us being included, yes, there is some sort of movement. But I would question what's going on underneath, i.e. when those mothers and birthing people are actually delivering their children. For me from what I can see, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done there and the care during and after birth. For me, I do question that a lot. I can say there is there isn't much change and there's, there's still a lot of work to do. But it's not to say... You know, there isn't willingness to learn and for it to happen because there is. And I would never, ever dismiss that from any healthcare professional because the NHS, you know, they are doing a good job. They are. And I don't want to take that away from them. But then at the the end of the day, they are stretched and that's where things tend to get lost. And that's where, unfortunately, these disparities happen.
0: Thanks, Chrissy. A sense of willingness to learn. But my goodness, a long way still to go, a long, long way to go. Inesh, your perspective.
2: I know that from an education perspective, the current students are having different education. So I have hope for the future. And the, at the university where I work at, University of Bradford, we have focused on ensuring that we are, you know, accessible and we have representation and we've worked on our recruitment processes. And we're looking at, you know, trying to improve our retention, attrition and also the curriculum, but also From the other side, I was the co-chair for the birth rights inquiry. Titled uh, when it was released, it was titled "Systematic Racism, Not Broken Bodies." And they interviewed healthcare professionals, service users. They had an intersectional approach. They had uh, people across the board with, you know, different needs as well as multiple needs. And they also in interviewed uh, key organisations but looking at it from the service user's perspective every single service user and what that gave feedback even in the focus group said that they experienced good practice so despite all the other things that were going on and all the other experiences at least once in their journey they experienced good practice so there is good practice out there we need to remember that we need to nurture that we need to grow that we need to make that a culture I think if we improve the service and the systems for the most vulnerable we'll find p- improvements across the board for everyone. Um, I always use this anecdote but when we lowered pavements for wheelchair users mothers with prams also benefited. You know our changes for what some groups are advantages for all groups.
0: Thank you. Thank you Binish. Thank you all. I think you've you've given leaders in the health and care system a lot to think about. You are also people in positions of leadership. So my final question was more advice for your peers. Beanish, I'll start with you.
2: Don't be scared about getting it wrong. Fear is a barrier. If you're worried that you're going to say something that offends, that adds another barrier to communities that already face barriers. Show your intention. Your intention is to improve outcomes be clear about your intentions. And if you get something wrong, apologize. No need to make excuses. Apologize, say we're going to do better and carry on and make your intentions clear. Stop letting fear get in the way of us connecting with our communities.
0: Thank you. Chrissy?
3: Don't give up. Keep going. If you you can save one life, it just takes that That small drop of change in the wider ocean, you've already contributed to such a massive change. So, for me, I would say don't give up, keep going. There's going to be loads of challenges along the way, but just know why you're doing this. It's the why, and that is to create a better change.
0: Thank you, Amanda.
1: I would say that um, self care is really important because. We tend to go out there and do so much work and get ourselves really involved in the changes that we want to see, the fact that the system sometimes is a little bit slow and it can get very frustrated. And we have to embody self-care because if we're telling communities to um, look after themselves and care for themselves and we're encouraging that's those safe spaces, we need those safe spaces ourselves. We need to look after ourselves and care for ourselves. If the system is linear and rigid, it's not looking after the midwives and the caregivers, the healthcare professionals, and then they have to look after the mums or us, in you know, who are needing the care as the patients. So if they're not looking, being looked after and they are stressed and they are feeling negative, that feeds down to those in their care.
0: Thank you all. Thank you for really thoughtful and thought-provoking answers to that question, but also, for thought-provoking material throughout the entire podcast.
3: Yeah. And can I just read one quote? Because, yeah. you know, we're all here literally because of change. If we don't stand up for ourselves, if we don't demand better, nothing changes. If we can make one small change, doesn't it not make it all worth it for the next generation to come?
0: Well... <laughs> In all hand on heart, I could I could have listened to you all day um, and thank you for everything you shared. So thank you to Amanda, Beanish and Chrissy for joining me today and everything you've shared.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you
2: so much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, We've included information about organizations who can offer advice, information, and support to you in the show notes for this episode. The show notes for this episode and all our previous episodes can be found at the King's Fund website. And you can get in touch with us via X, formerly Twitter. Our account is at the King's Fund. The producer for this episode was Natalie Coverley, and it's been edited by Bespoken Media, and my thanks to them both. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review this episode wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.